So tonight we're going to talk about, uh, we'll start to talk about what it looks like when we actually worship, when we gather together, um, specifically what it looks like when we worship through music, right? Because we can worship through all of our life, and God has given us many different ways to worship him. Um, but we tend to think about music a lot, and I tend to do that a lot because I'm a musician. Um, but what are the things in our life that we might be prone to worship other than God? Because I think analyzing how we do that will help us understand how God has designed us to worship him. Because um, I do think that we all are designed to worship God, and we're all given faculties with which to do that. But often, we misplace that worship. So we tend to worship things that we weren't designed to worship, um, but seeing how we do that can help us understand. So what are some of the things in our lives that we're prone to worship other than God? What do you think? Money, okay. So, okay, so let's take that one. So how does one go about worshiping money? What does that look like? What was that? Being a workaholic? Okay, being a workaholic? Being selfish? Okay. Thinking about it all the time, okay? So it's kind of always on our mind. Um, and also, you know, the, the root of all evil is right, the love for money. So we see in there, there's, there's a, a mental sort of thing where you're like constantly thinking about it. But there's also a, a love for this thing. It's also a heart kind of a thing. So what's, what's another thing that, that we might worship? Giving higher, higher value to people who have money. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so people who've, who've got the stuff that you want, yeah, you want to hang out with them and make them feel really nice. Hopefully you'll get some of that. Yeah, yeah. What were you going to say, Audrey? Computers. Okay. Okay, how, how do you see people worshiping those? Okay. So like a sense of presence, just kind of like always... There, yeah, yeah. Self. Okay, so, so what does it look like for somebody to worship himself? Mm-hmm. So those kind of seem to be driven by the heart, right? Because you want to feel good. You don't want to have to experience hardships. You want to yeah, make yourself feel, feel nice. But I think it's also kind of a preoccupation of thought at the same time because you're always thinking about yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Candy? Family, okay. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Gary, did you have something? Okay. Right, okay, so, so in that sense, we kind of see like this dedication of, of your time and effort, right? You're going to, you know, use up significant portions of your day to make sure your car looks nice. Yeah. How about entertainment? I've had someone say to me one time, well, if it's not fun, I don't do it. If it's not fun, I won't do it. So that's, that's definitely a heart sort of thing, right? Yeah. Sports. Okay, see, that's a really, really interesting one because... Um, and I find that interesting because I'm not a very sporty person, but I'm surrounded by people who are, and so I watch them. Um, and and I, see, I see so many similarities 
between my friends who get crazy about a game. And, and so I have this one friend, and he's, um, he's not, like, emotionally all there. And so his, so he's just not. It's, I mean, it's, it's fine. He, um, he suffers with some stuff. But, but he's super um, intellectual, and so he dedicates his thoughts to these games, and he dedicates his memory to these games. And so you can ask this guy any World Series, like, a stat, and he'll know it. He'll know, oh, yeah, and, like, you know, 1970-something, this person had this many hits, and this person had this many runs. Like, it's amazing all the stuff that he just stored up in there. Um, In the same way, I think, that we're supposed to write, store God's Word in our mind like that and memorize it. And so he has all of this stuff memorized. It's incredible. And I have other people who you don't get excited for anything, right? You know, like they're just the most boring people to be around until they talk about sports and all of a sudden it's this huge, exciting thing. Um, but for me, I know that musicians can be exactly the same way about our favorite artists, you know, because we can memorize all these random facts about their life and I don't even know that much about my friends sometimes, you know, it's crazy. Um, and, and you get so excited to, when their new album releases, you know, and it's just this huge thing. Um, and so, yeah, so if we, we're looking at these things, I think we can see a lot of the ways in which we are designed to worship things. And so no matter what, we're going to be worshiping something. So we have to be proactive, right, and be setting our minds and our hearts on the things that we're supposed to be worshiping because they're going to worship something, and if we're not proactive in that, they're going to worship whatever is easily accessible, which could be sports, computers, um, money, music, all of these things, entertainment. Um, and so what we're going to talk about tonight and then next week, um, well, not next week, the week after next, is um, how do we start working with the heart and the mind? Because these are really the two big seats of worship. And so if you're here and you're not a musician, uh, you've come to the right place. Because tonight we're going to start talking about your participation in the service. What does, what does it look like for you? And uh, how should you be participating? Um, and this will help us all understand what praise is supposed to look like. And so, <clears throat> as I've kind of already said, we, we have these two seats of worship, the heart and the head. And they both work together. And you can't really have one without the other and have a full picture of worship. Because if we emphasize the heart and neglect the intellect and we just have weightless emotionalism. And it's just this, this excitement for the sake of being excited about something. And that's not the full picture of worship. Um, some people say it's, it's like we're, if someone is admiring a sunset, but then you start admiring yourself, admiring the sunset. So you're no longer really admiring the, the thing that you want to be admiring. You're admiring yourself looking at it. And in the same way, sometimes when we worship... We can get caught up with um, worshiping ourselves in a spirit of worship rather than really focusing on what we're supposed to be worshiping. Um, And then at the same token, if we just have intellectualism without any heart, uh, then, you know, again, we're not experiencing what God has asked us to and called us to experience to the fullest degree. And so these two things have to play together. And um, tonight we're going to start talking about the heart, and I don't have these in any particular order. Um, but that's what we're going to start with. And then next time we meet, we'll talk about the head and how these things are supposed to interact. So what has God given us to worship him with? Well, God has given us all we need to worship him. And so we can trust that 
if we're supposed to worship him with something, he would give it to us. And so he's given us a mind and a heart. And so these are the tools that we have to use. I'm reminded of this in Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So God has given us what we need to do his will. We even see this pattern of of head and heart in the law. In Deuteronomy 6, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God, so there's the heart, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them, so there's the head, diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so the word of God is supposed to engage both our heart and our head. But I think to really begin to understand uh, this whole idea, we need to start with God's heart. Well, what, what is God's heart look like. And I'm reminded in, um, in John, which I don't have up there, John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so our love, our heart, is supposed to be a mirror of God's heart. And so the things that we are supposed to love are the things that God loves. We read in, in Genesis uh, 6, 6, um, about the fact that God ha- had this deep emotion and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So when God saw the, um, the sinfulness of man and when he um, was bringing about the flood, we see that he was greatly grieved in his heart. And so, so God has emotions and we, we can see this. And it makes us as leaders responsible to lead you, who have emotions as well, in the right emotions that we're supposed to experience. It would be wrong of us to lead you in in emotions that um, say joy over sin. That would be a wrong thing to lead you in. Or if we led you in having um, a very kind of stoic emotion toward things we're supposed to be joyful about, that would also uh, be wrong of us. That's a weedy responsibility. Um, we also see that God's heart is, is tied to the place where he is worshipped. And so we read, um, there it is. Um, we read in, in 2 Chronicles 7, 12 through 18, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, I will walk before me If you will walk before me as David your father walked, according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted 
with David your father, saying you shall not lack a man to rule in Israel. And so we see that where God is worshipped, he, he wants his heart to dwell there. And in the same way, he dwells in us now that we are this temple, right? And so we read in Ephesians 3, For this is the reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so we see that we can't even have a right love or a right emotion unless God is in our heart and unless we are understanding his love, uh, his, his emotions. Um, it's interesting, we see in Job, God has set his heart on mankind. Uh, Job 7 says, What is man that you make so much of him, and that you've set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. God's heart is set on us. It's even interesting, we might think of God's sovereignty as, as kind of a, a mind thing. We actually read that this comes from his heart. In Psalm 33, the Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. So God's heart is set on man. Uh, he plans with his heart. Um, his, as we read in Ephesians, his, his love is incomprehensible. Um, where his heart dwells is where he's worshipped. But the Bible also has a lot to say about man's heart. In fact, there are over 800 mentions of man's heart in Scripture. Um, so this is just a selection, <laughs> just a few. Um, but we, we also plan according to our hearts. Um, and we might think that we plan you know, according to our minds. We're going to you know, sit down and, and figure out all this stuff. But, but really, when you think about it, our heart does drive a lot of what we do. And if we enjoy something, we're going to plan to spend time with that thing. So if we enjoy um, seeing movies, we're going to plan to go to the movies. Um, that's not quite so much an intellectual thing as much as we'd like to think of ourselves that way in our culture. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Also, <clears throat> we're reminded that... Uh, the, our hearts are this place where we should be storing up um, the commands of God, just like my friend who, who stores all of the, the facts in his head, you know. But we should be storing those things also in our heart. Uh, let not the steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Also, um, Proverbs has, has a lot to say about this. We're also reminded that what... Um, we treasure in our hearts, that's the kind of thing they're going to end up living for. And so if we're feeding our hearts with all of these things that are inadequate, all of these things that aren't God, then we're not going to be living for God. But if we're treasuring up God in our heart, then that's what we're going to end up living for. Um, Proverbs 4 says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
And a familiar passage in Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, um, where neither thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we kind of see the flip side of this. What we put in our heart, we will treasure, but what we treasure um, is a reflection of, of what is in our heart. <clears throat> we have to remember that the, the heart, again, is a tool for worship, and it will worship something. It just depends on what, what is it that we're setting our heart on. And so even in our, our music selections, we want to make sure that the songs we're singing are not man-centered, that they're not just feeding our, our own um, selfishness and our own egocentricness. You know, we need to make sure that they are focused on God and pointing us toward him. We also remember that music is, is designed, God made music to affect our emotions. It's, it's very difficult to listen to music without being affected emotionally because that's what it's supposed to do, you know. And so uh, we wouldn't play a march to put a baby to sleep because that's not what that music's designed to do, right? But again, we wouldn't play a lullaby to get people excited because again, that's not what that music is designed to do. Um, and so we, we do have to, to realize that the kind of music that we sing uh, is important. And so what we're communicating should match the kind of music that we're using. Um, when we see this throughout Scripture and the, the idea that, you know, David played music for Saul to, to calm his spirit, and we're going to look at a, a passage here in Proverbs that reminds us we should be sensitive to people's life circumstances as, as we use music as well. Um, and whether or not the music accomplishes its purpose will have an effect on the heart. And so what I mean by that is if we do it right, if we use the appropriate, you know, kind of music to create an appropriate response, that's a good thing. But at the same time, if we try to mismatch this, and so if we're at a funeral and we're playing a polka, that's also going to have an effect on the heart, but it's not the desired one. You know, it's, it's going to create a very kind of negative effect. Um, and so this proverb, Proverbs 25, 20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Um, and so if you're cold and somebody comes by and takes your coat off, it's not a pleasant thing, you know, that's, that's not helping. It's, it's making you feel worse, you know, stop it. Um, and in the same way, you know, vinegar on soda, I don't know if you ever did that as a kid in a science experiment. I didn't know it was this old, which is cool. Um, you know, I didn't know, I don't know if they did little volcanoes in Solomon when she was a little boy, you know. They did little volcanoes and poured stuff in, boom. Um, but yeah, like it, you explode, right? Like you back off, you know, I'm not having a good day. I don't know why you're singing Merry Christmas songs to me. Like I you know, need to be mournful right now, you know. And, and so it's, we have to be sensitive of what people are going through. And, and I see this problem a lot today because we, we tend to want everything to be happy. Everything needs to be just, you know, so upbeat and cheerful and, and there is a difference between cheerfulness and joyfulness, you know, because we can have joy in sufferings, but it's, it's kind of different to have cheerfulness in sufferings, you know, especially when we realize that sufferings are a result of the fall, a result of, of sin and the curse. And so why would we be rejoicing about those things? You know, we are supposed to be rejoicing in those things, but not um, about or because of those things. 
And so we have to create this balance where we have to remember that people coming in on Sunday morning might not be in a great place. And so if we just immediately ask them, let's all be cheerful and joyful together, that might not be a very good thing for their soul right now. And so if the only thing we have in our repertoire is just happy, lucky-go music, it's, it's, it's not going to reach people. And it's, it's going to be just like this. It's going to be like taking somebody's coat off in the cold. It'll be like pouring vinegar on, on soda. Like, that's not what we want. And so we have to be aware of that and also choose songs that are laments and also choose songs that talk about the hardships of life. We can't be blind to those things. <clears throat> also, we read um, in Ecclesiastes this idea that um, we like to think of ourselves as really good people and we like to think of um, even the world, because we've been kind of trained to do this, just as, as good people, basically good people. That's a really bad philosophy because Ecclesiastes 9.3 says, um, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Um, Ecclesiastes isn't, you know, the most uplifting book, but uh, it's pointing out a really important thing that, you know, we are not naturally good, and so our hearts are predisposed to do evil. And so it's hard when, when we're encouraging people to pursue obedience when we haven't yet allowed them to come to Christ, you know, because they can't do that until they accept Christ, and that's a really important thing we have to remember about our hearts. It's also important that we know that, that we're not really in control as much as we'd like to think. Um, God has the power over our heart. And we read this again and again that God will soften our hearts. God will call our hearts to him. Even in Exodus, um, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to Moses as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Um, in Ezekiel 36, we read, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And again, we see this obedience that we ought to have, which is an act of worship, is coming after the fact that God has replaced our hearts with, with his own and put his spirit within us. And so this isn't something that we can create in our own heart. This is something that God gives us as a, as a grace. Um, and again, Romans, this is going to point back to the, what God was doing with Pharaoh um, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Spirit says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So we're not in control as much as, you know, we'd really like to think about or even our own hearts. And so if we want to have more worshiping hearts, if we want to have softer hearts, we should be praying and we should be asking God to give that to us. 
and asking that he would graciously allow our hearts to be uh, enlivened. And so if you find yourself on Sunday morning not super excited about the fact that Jesus has died for your sin and uh, rose again, gave you new life, uh, gave you uh, a new family, um, these are exciting things, I think, um, then, you know, ask God, soften my heart, give me a, a rejoicing heart, uh, make that change within me, because it's not something that you're going to be able to produce on your own. <clears throat> and a sanctified heart ought to be a, a rejoicing heart, and we see this example in, in the nation of Israel. In Isaiah sixty-six fourteen. you shall see and your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. When God restores his children, they, they rejoice. And in the same way we have been restored, we ought to be rejoicing. And you might say, well, I really don't feel like it. Um, you know, life is hard. And yeah, life, life is really hard um, a lot of the time. And, and there are times when we, we can't even muster worship. And I understand that. And so does God. And so that's why he tells us in Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God knows your heart, even if you're not able to physically express what's in it. Also, we have to remember that our hearts, it's really telling when we start to speak because what we talk about is what's in our heart. Um, As Matthew 15 reminds us, um, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart? And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, or murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with uh, unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Um, so Jesus is addressing a bigger issue here. But we can see in this that whatever flows out of our mouth is revealing uh, what's in our heart. So if praise is what, is what easily flows out of our mouth, then that's revealing that we have a joyful and a sanctified heart, a heart that is understanding um, what God has done for us. If praise does not easily flow out of our, our mouth, then it also reveals something about our hearts as well. Um, and so we do have to be really careful um, and, and see, you know, what, what really is in my heart and what flows out of your mouth is a biblical test of that. If we think about Jeremiah, he's a really good example of someone who had, a, had it rough and because, uh, you know, he's known as the, the weeping prophet, the lamenting prophet. But um, he also has this, this great um, spring of, of joy, which we're going to see in a moment. But, but he, he had it right. He understood that, you know, our emotions aren't just limited to rejoicing. We're also supposed to grieve and mourn over sin. And so, so Jeremiah was witnessing God taking his, his people away as a punishment for their idolatry. Um, and in, in the same time, this royal city, which we just read God had, you know, put his heart in forever, that God was going to dwell there and be worshipped there, the city is just being sacked. 
And he says uh, in chapter 4, Jeremiah 4, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent for I hear the sound of trumpet, the alarm of war. And so, yes, we, we ought to grieve over sin. He says, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. And so at times when we see the injustice done in this world, when we see uh, the persecution of God's people, um, even when we see in our own lives uh, our, our tendency to sin and God punishing that sin, yes, we, we can mourn and weep over that. We can grieve those things. But he also says, um, let us uh, test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. And so uh, our response after a time of that should be to return our heart to God. If we're dealing with personal sin and we've grieved that sin, we should be returning to God so that we can again rejoice and praise him. <clears throat> and, and even in that, we see, you know, our, our, our thoughts and our heart aren't focused on ourselves. He, he continually is pointing us to God. Um, just one last thought on this uh, heart appearing throughout Scripture. There's a phrase that comes up a lot is, um, he said in his heart. And, and this is kind of this idea of, you know, this, this just focusing on our innermost being and that we are, you know, thinking these things deep within ourselves. And so God has gifted us with this heart and we're supposed to experience this full range of emotions and all of that is intended to bring him glory. And so we can use our heart in order to really have a true and right response to the things in this world and to be worshiping with those emotions. So what does a worshiping heart look like? Um, Well, I hope that we've all kind of experienced that at some point in our life, um, worshiping with our heart, and that is a good thing. Um, God has graciously given us a capacity to love him and his word, and this is something that we should be able to enjoy the fact that God has given us a heart. But music, we have to be careful, right? Because like we said, it's designed to have an impact on our heart. And I think we mentioned this the last time we were together, that we really have to be careful that we match up um, the things that we are saying with the things that we are feeling um, when it comes to music. Because if we, if we sing something that's really joyful, words that are really joyful, to a really sad tune, that, that this just doesn't work. That's not how that works. Music is supposed to complement what's going on in the lyrics. And so we, we do have to be really um, I'm careful about those things. And also we have to remember, you know, our hearts are so easily swayed, you know, and they're so easily drawn away. And so we have to discipline ourselves to, to really consider what is exciting my heart right now. And if the, the primary thing that's exciting your heart is a tune, then then that's the wrong thing that's exciting your heart. Even if it's a great song, you know, if, and, and that can be a really hard place to, to be, but we really need to discipline ourselves and say, you know what, these, these words, this truth from God's word is exciting my heart, and this music is allowing me to express that. And that's when we can really experience what God wants us to when we're worshiping. 
But when we're just letting the music alone be that guide, then are we really admiring the sunset or are we admiring ourselves admiring the sunset? And it can be really easy to fall into that when we aren't disciplining ourselves. Um, so, so just be careful. Watch your heart. And um, I, I close this chapter with this sentence. God is pleased with you using your heart to worship him. And he is most pleased when our hearts are informed by the truths of his word and are in subjection to the will of his spirit. Uh, and so next week, we're going to, not next week because we have an event, the week after that, we're going to learn about our head. So what is our intellect supposed to be doing during worship? And then how do these two things interact? So I do have a couple questions just to close us off. So what about God's heart, as we looked at how uh, God experiences emotions, what about God's heart is encouraging to you? Full of love, grace, and mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, which is nice, right? Because his heart doesn't change. But ours can be really um, malleable, which is a good thing since our hearts are predisposed to evil. You know, it's a good thing that ours are changeable. Yeah. Right, right. Which is really important. God has emotions, but isn't controlled by them, right? So how do we set our hearts on the right thing? Like we talked about, our hearts going to worship something. It's just, that's what its job is. And so it's, it's going to worship something. So how do we set it on the right thing? How do we go about that? Yes, spending time in God's presence, right? Because the, the more you're with something, the, the deeper your affections tend to be with that, right? Right. For, for instance, so you've been married, you just had an anniversary, right? How many years now? 31. 31, right. So do you, do you find that your emotions for Jim are greater now than they were when you were first married? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's how that works. And so if we spend more time with God and his word, then we will have a greater love for it, Right. Right, yeah, it's a conscious effort. This isn't just going to happen. Right. Right, on things above. Right, yeah, good point. We have to know what the right thing is, so we have to be in the Word to find out what the right thing is. Yeah. So what are the things that can distract our hearts? Because it's really easy for us to get distracted, you know. So, so what are those things that tend to kind of take it away? Life. Yeah. Health. Yeah. All the things we mentioned in my worship. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and then again, that could be like, we, we begin to worship ourselves serving God in a way, rather than worshiping through serving, right? Yeah, that, that's an easy one to fall into. So last question, how can we ensure that we are worshiping with our hearts? Because honestly, in, in our context, um, we, we've had a, a great emphasis on the mind, you know, where, where most of us come from. And so it can be hard sometimes to let ourselves worship with our hearts as well and to engage both of these faculties. Um, because sometimes we've come from backgrounds where it's kind of been the assumption, maybe they didn't say it, but like, you know, thinking is a lot more important than feeling. Um, and these things really do go hand in hand, as we're going to see. So how do we make sure that we're using our heart in worship? We'll have peace and great joy. Yeah, yeah, okay, so um, the difference between duty and delight, you said, so are we delighting in worshiping God, or is it just, well, you know, I'm here to, to do the thing, so I'm a good Christian, you know, got to do the singing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, being honest with God. <coughs> Go ahead. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting, the song that we just are learning tonight, Here is Love, um, I look for this when I, when I look at songs, as, uh, and this is usually the, the outline it goes, if, it, if it's good, is that the verses will be telling us a lot of things that we need to know, and then the chorus allows us to rejoice about those things. And so what we have is theology, being told the truth, and we have doxology, we have praise, 
And so these two things kind of flow in and out of one another. And, and sometimes we can find songs that are really thick on one side or the other. And so we have something that's very, you know, intellectual and very, doc, or very theological, but there's not an opportunity to rejoice about those things necessarily. And then on the other side, we have some songs that are just focused on praising. And so if we just use those isolated, um, we don't really know what we're praising about or for or who. And if, on the other side, if we just use those songs, we, we don't get that experience of being able to engage our hearts. And so I try to, to look for, does the song have both, which is great. You know, I love it when I find that. Um, or, you know, okay, so I'm going to have a, a theologically rich song and then allow people to respond with the doxologically rich song afterwards, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, which is good. So, so those helpful thumbs up songs are probably sometimes going to land on the more intellectual side, but it's great when they give you a chance right in the song to respond. I love that. Speaking of which, we have a song that uh, does that.